Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Professor of Christian Ethics and Dean of the Faculty at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. We're here today with Dr. Judy Tenelsoff, who's a professor in Talbot's Institute for Spiritual Formation. She's a specialist not only in the the overall area of spiritual formation and spirituality, but she's an expert specifically in one area that we want to explore today. And that's the connection between uh, your family background, your upbringing, and how you view your spiritual life and spiritual growth. So Judy teaches uh, specifically on this area in Talbot's Spiritual Formation Focus, which is a three-track spiritual formation set of courses that all Talbot students go through. We consider it really essential to a person's spiritual development. So Judy, thanks for coming on with us and exploring this, uh, I think, super interesting area today. Well, I'm excited to do it, Scott. Well, before before we get into it, uh, let, let, let's talk just more broadly. What exactly do you mean by the term spiritual formation? And how does that differ from what we've traditionally called discipleship or spiritual growth? Well, why don't I begin by just giving you sort of an elevator definition. If someone came up to me and said, what is spiritual formation? What I would begin to say to them is it is the process that the Spirit of God transforms our life into Christ-likeness. It's um, something that happens after we come to know the Lord, and then He takes us through this process of making us more Christ-like. Now, students at Talbot, my students at school here, uh, they come having memorized scripture, having a deep love for the Lord, and they love His Word, and they love His work, and they have a desire to be equipped to do ministry. But when it comes to their own lives, and um, and they get confused as to why do we have to look at you know the content of soul care. Um, what is the intentional need for prayer? Um, what? Why are we telling our stories? What is the impact of our family history? And and so I I love the fact that we're going to sort of uncover this because I think this is a um, this is where spiritual formation is a complement to discipleship. It is. Um, is part of what I believe discipleship needs to be. Uh, discipleship in the past, um, or in traditionally, um, is usually a program that we take new Christians through to teach them the basics of the Bible and of Christian doctrine, and so they know what they believe. And um, spiritual formation is how we take what we believe and we know we believe and take a look at how much are we able to really experience that, live it. Um, how much does it really change our character? And if it doesn't, why doesn't it? And so spiritual formation is combining the knowledge of yourself with the knowledge of Scripture and of the Bible and um, what God says to us. So when we bring these two together, they're in a beautiful complement because um, our greatest testimony to the world is our life how we live it, how we love, 
how we are kind, what our character is like, what our relationships are like, what our marriage is like. And so I, I'm excited that um, spiritual formation has become more and more something that all seminaries and churches are beginning to look at in a deeper way. That's helpful. For us. I, I like your your, ele, your elevator de- definition of that. That's that's very helpful and succinct. Uh, you you you're a lot of what you specialize in though has to do with unearthing a person's family background and how that impacts their spirituality. But I thought that the the Bible taught that in Christ we are new creations. The old passed away and the new has come. But it sounds to me like you're saying that a person's past actually has a lot to do with their spirituality today. How, how do you make sense out of both of those claims? Well, I think that um, we, when we come to know the Lord, we are made new. Um, God sees us as a new creature in Christ. And he gives us what we need through the gift of the Holy Spirit um, and um, the process of sanctification, he gives us the opportunity that while we're still here, we begin to incorporate what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And, uh, And so I think that it's both and. We are made new. But there's also the process of sanctification in which we need to cooperate with the Spirit's work in us who actually does the transforming of our old self into our new self. So the Bible in Ephesians talks about putting off the old self. And oftentimes we don't know what it is that we have to put off until we intentionalize prayer and learn how to listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing in a particular moment in our life or in a particular time or through a particular circumstance. And so our job is to cooperate with what we hear and be obedient and to continue to question in prayer what those things are so that we can um, actually become more Christ-like as we grow in um, the Christian life. Judy, when I was an undergrad, I was reading a book by Brennan Manning, and I read a line that now looking back, it seems so obvious, but it was kind of transformative to me. He said something to the effect of, you know, spirituality looks different for each person. And when I read that, I realized that I had assumed that spiritual maturity for me would look the same as it did for my father. And when I started to realize, no, it looks different. I have a different personality, different experience, different calling. Mm -hmm. It was just such a freeing moment for me. Is this a lot what you do is try to unearth these assumptions people have that just might not be rooted in Scripture to help them be more freeing in terms of who God designed them to be? Absolutely. I, uh, he made us individual, unique, and we were put in different families. We, were, uh, we experienced different relationships. There is no way that the things that you have to look at and that I have to look at to grow in our spiritual life are going to be the same. And so everything, that's why we can't just do one thing. And we can't just teach the knowledge of the Bible and expect that to change everyone. 
because some people, um, the knowledge doesn't do a thing for them. Um, they have to have the knowledge applied and all of us do to some degree, but sometimes some people learn through actually reading and, you know, listening to something and they will grow that way. Another person has to experience it. Another person um, will get it through prayer. And I really think that the Holy Spirit though, uses three primary ways to change us. And um, I think that is pretty consistent. Um, and But what happens in those three ways will be very, very different for each person. But I think one thing that the Holy, I'll just give you those three things. So one thing is that he uses spiritual disciplines. I think he uses solitude and silence and prayer and retreat and Sabbath. He speaks to us through these, um, these kinds of experiences and it helps us to shut down our life a little bit to be able to hear his voice more clearly. Another way the Holy Spirit, I think, really works with us is through our narratives. Our story has to be connected to God's story. And we have to be able to see how God works with us. For instance, um, I was in bed for a year at five years old. And during that time, all the relationships with my family were formed around my sickness. And that, um, and so I became sort of the, the center of how people interacted with me. Well, I had to go back to that time many, many times with the Lord and say, what were the good things about that? But there were some things I picked up. You can't always be the center. You have to also be the one who serves. But when you're sick and you're flat in your bed, you can't serve. And there may be other people who've experienced it like me, but ultimately that is my process with the Lord, my story. And I had to begin to see what is God doing? What was he doing during that time? How can um, that time be used for his glory now. And so he uses spiritual disciplines. He uses our narratives, our story. And then I think the third thing that he primarily uses to um, move us um, spiritually is through community. God made us relational beings. And a re he is a relational being. He's three in one, and he wants us to be like himself. So we need to have secure relationships around us that encourage us, that help us accomplish God's purposes in our life, that um, convicts us when we're going in a, a wrong direction. Um, we just need people in our life. You know, Dennis Guernsey, before he died from the Seattle Pacific, did a study, and he looked at Christians and the world we live in today to look at how many people do we actually need around us to keep us on track. And he, he came up with a number of 25 that really know us and we know them that we connect with on a regular basis. 
And I find that most people don't even have one. Wow. wow. Our, our tablet students come into the school and they, um, they're lonely. They don't have people who really know them. They're hiding a lot of their story. They're, they're ashamed of it. They feel guilty about it. And instead, in order for the Holy Spirit to um, transform that guilt into being able to um, experience his love right in the middle of that brokenness, they need to open up that story. So... Um, to others who can encourage them, help them to see what God might be doing. These are the kind of experiences that we're taking Talbot students through and people in churches now through so that they can begin to see that God was at work in them from the very beginning. And he continues that work. And that's where we find joy in the Christian life. The Christian life is cooperating with the Holy Spirit. That brings incredible joy. Judy, in your experience, people who come to Talbot, many will become pastors or youth pastors, some teachers, some will go into the business world. Mm-hmm. Those who don't come to grips with how their family background has shaped them spiritually. Do you see certain common threads as those people go out and be ministers and pastors in their lives? Well, if God isn't um, helping us to see who we are, then those distortions that happened early on in all the capacities that God gave us in his image, um, we have capacities um, for many, many things. But we entered this world um, where there was sin. And so all these capacities have been distorted. And to the degree that we don't look at them, we live out of the distortion instead of out of God's design. And that's, um, and what does that look like? It looks like um, being more concerned about me than about others. Um, it sometimes looks like, um, wanting freedom, but not wanting to take the responsibility. Sometimes it means um, tolerating things that we should be convicted about. Um, It's like we don't want to be vulnerable with the places that God really wants to change us and change those distortions. So then, and I think that's why we see so much narcissism today. We are taking on the characteristics of the world, that it's all about me, that if I'm happy, then things are good. Um, And we're taking those on to the degree that we don't look at how these distortions happened. Judy, these, these are some really helpful specifics about how a person's family upbringing makes a difference in their spiritual life and formation. And thank you for sharing specifically the, the incident from your own life, your own upbringing. Mm-hmm. Let's take someone who ha- ha- maybe has a little different history. Take someone who was sexually abused growing up. How might that ex- affect their spiritual life? Um, you know, Maybe what, what issues would they have to deal with that someone who's not had that history would not have to? Yeah. Um, 
I don't think that they have to deal with, I, I think there are some specifics there probably with, is with any distortion, but the biggest thing with sexual abuse is that it breaks trust. Sexual abuse, uh, particularly if it happened in your family, if you had a family who didn't really awaken love or they awakened it and then they abused it, um, it breaks trust. And we need trust to um, to love God, to um, experience God. We need to have faith. Our whole Christianity is built around having faith in the unseen, um, faith in someone who we can't touch. Um, and, and so stepping out in the dark, you think about Hebrews and how it talks about Noah and Moses and all these people of faith who stepped out into the unseen. That's what faith is. Well, when you've been abused and the very trust that you had in someone, the person, the family that you were entrusted to, um, or even if it happened outside the family and you come back and tell the story and parents don't believe, oh my goodness, that breaks our ability to have any kind of faith. So what do we do? We try to do it on our own and we try to protect ourselves and we try to control everything around us so that we won't be abused again. Or if we don't take control, we call into a corner. And so it could go either way. It can be where you um, feel like you have to control everything around you to protect yourself, or you kind of become a person who's lost, unseen, unheard, not known. Yeah. Judy, that's, that's really insightful about how that stuff in your background might have a huge impact on how you, just how you process a relationship to God and how you would process spiritual growth. Um, I suspect that uh, you have a lot of students who are pretty resistant to looking at their family background be be because it's a, because it might have some of these really painful things in it. Uh, what are what are some of the main obstacles that you have to get people to overcome to really look seriously at their family background? And I say this with my I say this with my son in the in the room with us engineering this podcast. <clears throat> well, I think first of all. Um, one of the things that help our students get beyond, and it, it almost scares them that we do this so quickly in the program, but the very first class, we are trying to get them to tell their story with honesty and truth, and we do some things to make that happen. But one of the things that changes that resistance is to realize the truth that there is nobody who doesn't have distortions and things that they want to hide in their story. Nobody has the perfect story. And when students be they're in a classroom and they start sharing a family sculpture where they see their family and the class can see it as it was. And, and then later on, we have them tell their story over and over in the program because it's so important that they begin to, their story is their testimony. 
And if we aren't telling the truth of our testimony, then a person isn't really seeing the grace of God in action. The, um, the, what it takes to be vulnerable and then to have somebody, um, um, come alongside and love them in the center of that brokenness. And when they are accepted and loved at that pivotal place of brokenness, the grief and the pain can be released and go away and God can fill those holes with his love. But until we really let go of them, that's why um, spiritual formation is all about humility. It's all about being submissive to the will of God. It's all about being vulnerable and being authentic and being truly you and finding those who can hear that and love you in those places. This is the community aspect. So when people finally realize that they can't present the perfect family, the resistance goes down just like that. Judy, I think it's so powerful that you said everybody has some kind of dysfunction that they need to process. Like that seems so obvious, but it's powerful because we maybe pick out certain sins or dysfunctions and say those are the big ones, but all of us do. Now, the flip the flip side of that, let me ask you, I'm curious, are there some common, like either family dysfunctions or hurts that you see showing up today with students that maybe differed a decade or two decades ago? Is there any kind of change or commonality of the issues students seem to wrestle with today? Um, I think it's some of the things that I mentioned a few minutes ago of how we've taken on the um, culture of the world where we tolerate things we shouldn't. We think life is all about me. We have that all the time in our classes with our students. Um, they, um, they want to take freedoms without taking responsibility for that. Um, they hide sin. Um, I think about pornography and how it is just rampant everywhere, but who's talking about it and who's actually entering into the process of saying, if you're involved in this, this is hurting your spiritual life. It's hurting your relational life. We need to talk about it and figure out how did this go wrong and how do we begin to apply scripture and God's love to those places so we can let go of that. And so um, I think um, we are dealing with the lack of relationship and that's being multiplied many, many times by the um, technology of today, um, that we aren't in each other's presence looking eye to eye. Um, I think... You mean you can't be spiritually formed through text message and Facebook messenger? (laughs) No, because you can dismiss anything you don't want to see. You can just erase it. Judy, and, um, yeah. T- tell, tell us, maybe tell us about a student or two who have seen their spiritual lives turned upside down by what they've learned about their family background. Um, that's a hard question because I can't tell anybody's real story. Um, 
in that, but I just want to say where I see the most change overall when they start telling their story is in how they are in relationship. And we see incredible change from the time they enter a cohort group and think, I didn't choose these people. I don't want to be with these people. I don't like meeting every week. I don't like being vulnerable with them. How can you expect me to tell my story when I don't know these people? And by the end, they love each other and they want to be together the next semester. And some of them stay together in whatever way they can throughout childhood and beyond. And so we see this change. So I think the change in relationships are the biggest changes. And the other one is in how they parent. Um, when you're confronted, if you're a parent, and we are, our population at Talbot is a little bit older. So many of them are married and they have children and they're pastors already. And when they're confronted with the effects of their own um, family history on their life, they begin looking at how they're parenting and um, the things that are missing in their parenting. And I get more prayer projects. We have them pray and spend time reflecting with the Lord. And then they, they do a write-up, a reflective write-up that I read. And then I give back to them with comments and questions and different things. But I see so many of them questioning, oh, I feel so guilty about my kids. Um, I, I am recognizing I'm being too hard on them. I expect things that I don't, I can't even do myself. I'm not loving them the way I have to. And so part of this class is also, um, I'm wanting to teach them how to parent well, how to awaken the capacities that they need, that their children will need in um, growing to be citizens of heaven and how to connect their story to their children's story and their children's story to God's story. Um, these are wonderful tools that our um, students are finding as they go through this program. So, Judy, let me ask you one final question for our listeners. I know some people are listening right now, maybe having a sense that there's some unresolved just family dynamics in their life today, whether they're young or old, going back to maybe when they're five, like your story, or maybe a year, five or 10 years ago. What's one simple baby step that you would recommend people to take to get the ball rolling? Is it simply, let me go to a pastor and ask if I can just start to share my narrative or or sign up for your class, what would be the baby step for somebody to take or a book that you would recommend to get the ball rolling in someone's life? Well, there's a lot of books out there on spiritual formation right now, but I would not, I would probably not tell them to go to a book. And the reason is, is because books give you head knowledge, but they don't give you the experience that of love that changes those things that hurt inside. So I would, I would say, I would send them to the Lord first, and I would say, pray that God brings you someone that you can share with who will be able to hear this and take it in. So I would ask them to ask the Lord, and then I would say, keep your eyes wide open. I love that passage in First Corinthians 
um, no, it's Second Corinthians six eleven, where Paul says to the Corinthians, "We have opened our hearts wide to you, but your affections have kept us um, from entering in." And so, open. We beg you, open your um, hearts wide, as we have to you. And so, we these people um, need to find someone that they can open their heart to and who will receive them and will love them as Paul did the Corinthians. Judy, thanks so much for being with us today. I, I found this incredibly insightful. I, and I, tr I suspect this will be really good stuff for many of our listeners to start thinking about how what's going on in their family background um, has an impact on their spiritual life. And I would, Sean, I so appreciate that last question. I would encourage our listeners to start start taking some of those baby steps that uh, Judy described, um, because this is a way I think to really significantly deepen your your spiritual life. Judy, thank, thank you very much. Thanks, Judy. You're welcome. We appreciate it. This has been an episode of the podcast Think Biblically: Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Dr. Judy Tenelsoff. And to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.